This is a dynamic offense. They were in the Super Bowl just a few years ago, and a lot of these pieces are there, uh, but I would not take them lightly. When this team has a sense of urgency, and when they don't think, they just play, I'm convinced this team could put up 35 points a game. Minnesota Vikings podcast, episode 64. I'm your host, Cy Amundsen, joined by Chris Corso and Jay Nelson from Vikings.com. We are going to look back at what happened on Sunday night. We are going to look forward to hosting the Falcons this coming Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. No guests this week, so you're just getting uh, you're just getting a bundle of us three idiots. And guys, I might just have to step out of the way because I don't know that I can talk about this Seattle game. Here's what let, let me give you uh, a glimpse into where I've been at as a man. We are one and four walking into the game. Now I want to win every game. I'm not one of these tank people, but I also understand if the young players are getting better and they're competitive, I would love a great draft pick. So I, I want to win the game. My expectations aren't incredibly high right now. My expectations are more solely focused. I want to see the cornerbacks improve. I want to see Justin Jefferson play better. I want to see us take a punch and rebound. I want to see things like that, things that I believe will lead to wins. But then the Vikings go out and they jump up 13-0 in the first half. But I'm a Viking fan, and I've been one since I was a little kid. So I understand that I'm not going to get excited about a 13-0 lead against the best team in football in the first half because I know there are two halves in football. And then the second half rolls around. Turnover. Turnover. Of course this is what has happened. I've been around. I've been a fan of this team since I was a little kid. And then they bounced back. With Chris Corso on the phone with me, Jay, I bought in. And I, like, I, I didn't just buy in. I was like, you know what, Chris? This team should have beaten Tennessee. This team, the Colts and the Packers are Super Bowl contenders. They're about to beat the best team in football. This team should be 3-2, and two, having played one of the toughest schedules in all in football. Let's go. And then right in my NADSAC, just right in my Viking emotional NADSAC, fourth and six inches, which I love the call. We couldn't get it. Mr. Unlimited doinks all the way down the field for the W. And I was just sitting there feeling like I felt a million times. So I'm going to talk about this game and I'm going to break it down, but I need to let you know emotionally, I'm not in a great place to break it down. Let's start, Chris, with the fourth and half a yard call. I loved it. I'm going to keep loving it. And that's not just a homer take. That's not just I work for the Vikings take. I just, you had been dominating the run game all night. Madison had had 100 yards in the second half. You need six inches. Go get it. Go win the game. I agree. Like, I mean, we don't normally agree, but I agree on this one. When the call was made, I think because it was on you're the... wrong about a ton of stuff, Chris. But yes, <laughs> keep going. Thank you for agreeing. I honestly love the call. You're there to win the game. You're one in three in the moment. I argued with Ben Lieber about this post game, uh, but you're not there to tie and and watch Russell Wilson go for the for the tie of the game at the end there. You have six inches to go. It seemed like Alexander Madison could have just jumped out to the outside. 
not his fault on the play. Obviously, it was a tough play for him, but an outstanding game as a whole for him. But I loved Mike Zimmer's call in the moment. I think most Vikings fans would have been more upset if he kicks the field goal, goes up eight, and then Russell Wilson comes down and ties the game. I think that's like the ultimate throw it in the head coach's face. So I think he made the right call. Yeah, and let me give you an even different angle on it because I'm an analytics guy to a certain degree. I'm not a pro football focus guy, but I I think analytics should influence sports to a certain degree. But also having coached sports, I understand that they need to mesh with, you know, understanding who your team is and what the situation is. So it's not black and white for me. And I've always understood – when fans get frustrated when a coach goes against the math in a two-point conversion situation or a late game, kick the field goals. Like, I've always understood that. But the other side of this to me is an emotional one. You have lost two really difficult games on primetime in Seattle two years in a row when your team was a playoff team, a contender, a team that should have, been, should have had a chance to make a run. You had a chance to win this. You're one and three. And and I don't just think it's about winning the game. If you went there and you win it in a way where you use your dominant force, the running game, to stick it down their throats and go, you're not even getting a chance. The sort of message that sends, you know, sometimes the emotions of professional sports get overplayed and, and there's dramatics around them. But in this situation, I've also been in locker rooms where people rally to stuff. They rally to the weirdest stuff. And if you win the game like that with a big FU moment, which is what it is, this team starts to rally and the guys go, look what we just did. We should have won that Tennessee game. I just think it could have set this mood walking forward that to me far outweighs all the mathematical implications and play calling that anyone's discussing, Jay. As Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. And oh my gosh, that sounds like something Corso would say, Jay. I count on you to be clever and lovable, not to be dorky and Chris-ish. Let's go this other direction then. You're playing a game of poker. You're sitting at the table and there's three guys left. Go on. There we go. So we're sitting at the poker table. There's three guys left and it's coming down to you need to house one last card on the river. And you're sitting there saying... If I don't do this with the way everything else has gone, there, yeah, there's a chance I'm going to lose out on this, but there's a huge chance that I'm going to do it. You're going to lay down the stack to try to win the whole thing. This team up to this point has gotten caught on you know the end of games in Tennessee. On this one, you were still leading. And the idea is, are you going to go for the dagger or are you going to play it safe? And I do not personally feel that a coach like Mike Zimmer is one who's going to play it safe when he has a chance to grab the win by the throat because that is not his MO. And the other thing that it does is it also sends to a room full of alpha males who are playing this game who are all hyper-competitive that I believe in you to get half a yard. I believe in you to win this thing and we're going to do this. And even if it doesn't happen, defensively, you still have to hold them for... 94 yards so like everything was set up for them to have the chance to win and if it's me if I'm the coach if I'm a player and you kick that field goal to play it safe to get to eight I'm going to be sitting there watching them drive down the field saying we could have won this thing if you believed in us to get a half a yard 
So in all circumstances on this thing, I was one who was texting with coworkers and friends who were saying, what do we do? What do we do? I was sending them uh, dagger uh, gifts and all this kind of stuff. Like you go for it. You have to try to slay this vampire because they've gotten you over and over and over again. And this was the chance and it didn't work out, but I love the mentality of as soon as this coaching staff or players start to play this thing safe, that is a dangerous thing to do because it infests the rest of your locker room moving forward. Yeah, it was killer to lose that game, but you knew you had the right mindset and the right intentions to try and win the thing outright. And I'm not going to fault them for that. I, I love it, Jay. And, and I also think the storylines, like you had this game that's set up so well for your young talent to walk forward from it. I mean, Eric Wilson had a game. Not, I mean, he, the, the interception was great. The sack was great. But I mentioned it to Chris on the postgame show. It's more just he was in the right place at the right time doing his job the entire game. That's a big deal. That's some Anthony Barr stuff right there. He was really, really impressive. The young corners. Now, Russell Wilson might have had a high completion percentage, but the secondary as a whole, when, you, when you're looking at it going, you've held this – all-world quarterback who's on the greatest pace in the history of professional football to start a season, literally, your two young rookie corners and your secondary held him to 21 points. And, oh, by the way, 14 of them came after disastrous turnovers in your own end. You like just the narratives that would have walked out of this game for these young players from a confidence and performance standpoint to me, it makes that decision even, even more of a no-brainer. I mean, because, because the other thing is, if they win that game right then and there, it sends all those messages. It goes, look at what you did. Even with two turnovers, you held Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf to, to 21 points. They go down, score a last-minute drive on you, get a two-point conversion, you go to overtime, you still win that game. You go, that was great. I just love the narratives that that might have created. The hard part about this one was that it was the duality of the game, right? So you had the fact that they held the time of possession, the defense stepped up and did what they needed to do, the secondary especially, but then when it came down to crunch time and we were on those fourth down plays, they weren't able to hold them off long enough in order to to run out the clock. So in doing that as a young player, they have the confidence knowing that they went against two of the best wide receivers in the game right now. On the flip side one or two plays made the entire game. So in the future, when they become a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth year vet, they'll remember that in the sense of they're going to do their job. But in these situations and in these scenarios, there are certain games within the game that they're going to have to pay attention to. Right, Chris? Yeah, we had Eric Wilson on under center with Kirk Cousins this week. And he literally said that he's like, there were like one, one or two plays in this game where us young guys were like, wow, we can play with these guys. We can play with the Seattle Seahawks. Like we're, we're those caliber of players. Jeff Gladney played the entire game, and you see a 5'11 first-round draft pick rookie cornerback shoving the 6'6", I don't even know how freaking tall DJ Metcalf is, but jawing going back and forth with him on primetime television. Like Some of these guys are just getting their feet wet. Like in the NFL, uh, Eric Wilson's getting his feet wet playing Anthony Barr's position, following the running back up the line and knocking him out of bounds to make a huge interception in the game. 
hearing him break that down was so awesome. So uh, there's so many positives to take from this game. We're finally establishing that identity. The identity in the first half, that's the identity that Mike Zimmer wants to set. Run the ball down their throats, play good defense, keep the offense off the field. We haven't seen that in week one, week two. I, I said that to you, Cy. And a couple mistakes in there, total killers. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it was a lot of positives. It's just good teams win that game. And we're, we're right. We're on the way to getting back to where Mike Zimmer was a few years ago. Well, let's touch quick on that disastrous third quarter sequence. Seattle gets a TD, Cousins fumble, DK Metcalf TD. Next play, Cousins interception. Next play, 29-yard TD run. So, Chris, because you're the Kirk Cousins aficionado on the show, I'm going to give you the bad and good here. The bad is you you had everything in front of you. This was another big-time moment, big-time game, and you need your big-time quarterback to have better pocket awareness and you need him to not make that throw. I understand it was a a, a nice play by K.J. Wright, but you can't make that throw, and if you do, you got to complete it. You know, it's there is a fair reason, and I'm sure the quarterback himself would admit that. There's fair reason to be critical of those moments. That's, That's the bad. We saw some of that, some of those narratives rear their head in that moment. The good is something that I've been talking about consistently uh, since we started this show this year, and it's the ability to punch back. It's the ability to look at something like that in the face and not fall apart for the rest of the game. And, And we saw this team lead long drives throughout the entire game, including the last two, an 11 play drive for 77 yards. Uh, for a, with, ended with an Adam Thielen touchdown and then a 15-play uh, drive for 97 yards, eight minutes, with another Thielen touchdown. That's the good of it. The good of it was as bad as that sequence was and as disastrous. When you give up back to back to back to back and two touchdowns, two interceptions, they scored a touchdown. Goal. I mean, that's worst nightmare type situation when you're playing one of the best teams in the NFL and they bounce back. So there was a bunch of bad there. And there was also some good there. Absolutely. You, I mean, you can't say it much better than that. It was, if I could summarize this up in a few Cy Amundsen phone calls during the game. Don't I do it. Can't... Don't you let people into my <laughs> private life. You were so happy when we talked at halftime. And then <laughs> I get a call after the 21-point swing. And, and Cy was not so, not so happy on the other line of the phone. And I had to agree with him. I had nothing to say to you. I Normally, I, I back our quarterback and... And then, man, oh, man, did he prove me wrong. Because it seems like every time his back is up against the wall in these moments and you have literally zero faith that he's going to bring it back. And I referenced the Denver game at home at U.S. Bank Stadium last year when we were down like three touchdowns. Um, Those moments, it's like when you you don't have any faith, you just – you see him scream on the sideline. And and I think those two drives that were 90-plus yards – was the best that he's looked in his career as a Minnesota Viking. I really do. I mean, you could probably say the the drive in the playoff game against in New Orleans last year, but the way that he was like just tossing the ball, hitting Adam Thielen, throwing the ball down the field, it seems like that hurry-up offense. And, Cy, you were on this last year. I've been on it for... 
three and a half years, and I know you're going to have to bleep that word when you put this podcast out, but don't cut this moment. The, he, the, he's, it's, everybody wants to criticize. This team is good at the hurry up. This team, when, this, when this team has a sense of urgency and when they don't think, they just play, when he just goes out and boom, bang, go, boom, bang, go, boom, bang, go. I'm, just, I'm convinced this team could put up 35 points a game. I agree, and and I mean, you see Thielen down the field, then you see a run to Alexander Madison. They had the running game involved in it too, which was all like it was just it was the That's best. The thing. Being in a hurry up or having some pace doesn't mean you need to go away from the running game. That's what I love about Agreed. the possibilities with this offense. It could be a fast-paced, high-scoring offense that is led by its running backs and the fear other teams have about defending its running backs. I couldn't agree more. And the, even the first couple of drives when we're up 13 nothing, he was I mean, he had a few throws down the field to Irv Smith, but he did not look better than when he was pissed off and, and going down the field in those two drives. I thought they were two of the better drives in the past three years for Kirk Cousins and the entire Vikings offense. So then my mind changes completely, and I'm like, here we go now. This is a ball game. We took the lead. And, yeah, you get the the tough call at the end. All these games are decided, I feel like, every week on the last play for the Vikings. But, yeah, I I want to see more of that. I really do. Always be closing. Finish out the games, whether it was Tennessee, who's a good team, and Seattle, who is a good team. Both of those teams were able to find a way at the end of the game. To, to nip us in the butt and it's it's, it's that's the frustrating and part. almost houston and almost houston yeah true true and that's and that but that's the point like with the houston one you looked at it and said we are better than this houston team and we can close this one where the other two it got to the end and you're like are we better and when you have to answer that question at the end one side of the ball felt like it got it done but the other side is the one that got bit and that I think is the hardest part with watching this team this year is you're right now. Let's talk about those two other games. You win those one point games instead of lose those one point games. And you're sitting at three and two. So, which is a completely different stratosphere than sitting at one and four. And, and we're, we're looking at this team a different way. The hardest part is the feeling of if you need one or two more plays that are made, missing out on some of your top playmakers, you're sitting there saying, if we had them, would it be different? The problem is in football, it doesn't matter. You can't sit there and play the if game. It's just what happened this past week. And the honest answer is we didn't get it done. And, and that's why it hurts so much is because we've had this scenario over and over again with Seattle. And I think that's why the fans get so frustrated with it, not only with the Tennessee game, but just the history of Seattle. And trust me with the way that you know Zimmer talked about it in press conferences and leading up to the game and everything he knows that the Seattle team is the one that that has gotten him over and over again and he wants it in the worst way so for fans to sit there and feel like outguessed himself or got too aggressive or any of that kind of stuff he's playing to win this thing because he wants this win more than anybody Download the official mobile app of the Minnesota Vikings today for either your Apple or Android device. Watch game highlights, press conferences, and exclusive Vikings Entertainment Network content. Stay up to date on the latest team news and much more. Customize your app experience via push notifications so you never miss out on breaking news or fan promotions. Search for Minnesota Vikings in the app or Google Play stores. For information, it's vikings.com slash app all right it's enough of that like i said i can't 
I just I can only I can only handle so much of it. I think we I think we got through it. I think we focused on. There's more parts of it, but they've been covered. Let's look forward to Atlanta here. Atlanta's 0 and 5. I thought they were going to be a good football team this year. I think it every year. I keep getting proven wrong, but they are as an opponent uh, bringing one of my least favorite phenomenons to U.S. Bank Stadium this weekend, and that is. I don't want to play a team that just fired their head coach. I don't like it. I've always disliked it. I think players, professional athletes, find such unique ways to motivate themselves. They're always motivated. But to get to that second gear, you think of watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, all the insane he would do to give himself that extra little edge. And although he's the master of that stuff, I don't think that's unique. And I think you saw it with the Houston Texans. When we played the Houston Texans, to me, they look like a bottom-of-the-league team. And then last Sunday, after they get rid of Bill O'Brien, they all of a sudden look like a playoff team. And so you can't look at this Falcons 0-5 record or their results so far this year. You have to look at a team that collapsed in two big games in Week 2 and 3 uh, you know, I, I've always thought Dan Quinn was a pretty darn good football coach, but a, a guy who just wasn't working out anymore. And I think there's going to be a lot of players ready to prove something on Sunday. So to me, you're going to get a hungry, difficult football team. You're not, you're not getting the worst team in the league on Sunday, Chris. Absolutely. And, and you hear Mike Zimmer on Wednesday in his press conference talk about the offense and the weapons that this team has. I mean, Todd Gurley has emerged as like their entire offense. He's having quite the year coming back off of what he did out there in Los Angeles with the Rams and being able to recover from that injury. And uh, definitely a huge part of the offense. We'll have to keep an eye on Julio Jones and that injury that he's battling because he didn't play in last week's game um, for the Falcons. So that will make a big difference in how the Vikings will be able to defend this team because you'll be dealing with guys like Calvin Ridley and, and Gage who's a new wide receiver who took the spot of, of Julio Jones in the past few weeks. So this is a dynamic offense. They were in the Super Bowl just a few years ago, and a lot of these pieces are there from that team, including Todd Gurley in the backfield. So uh, we killed them last year, week one. I think Eric Wilson had a block punt where his like face exploded. But, yes, um, he did. He, yeah, he did. And uh, they, we do normally fare pretty well against them in the past couple of years, which makes me feel good. Uh, but I would not take them lightly. Fun fact about Julio Jones. Do you know what his first name actually is? His first and middle name? It's Quintoris Lopez Jones. Julio's a nickname, and it, that is one of the greatest names I've ever heard. Quintoris Lopez Jones. How does that become Julio? Old QLJ from back in the day? Yeah, you bet. Uh, Julio is been their leader on offense, and Matt Ryan is like a 1A, 1B kind of a thing. With no Julio, it, the dynamics of that team change now. Calvin Ridley, over the last couple years, he has definitely planted his flag as one of the top earners on that offense. But if you're, it's a whole different ball game, similar to like what we were dealing with earlier, talking about if it was Thielen and Jefferson now versus just feeling like Thielen. If if you lose out on Julio and you can start to just solely focus essentially on Calvin in the passing game, minus their tight ends and some of their lower level guys, that is a completely different offense. And 
I too am one who's nervous about, you know, new head coach coming in and saying, we're going to completely change the narrative on what this offense and what this team is. They have the weapons, but I, I, I'm one that unless they can get Matt Ryan going, they are going to be in a world of hurt, which is it. what was crazy to me was when I was going through the stats and having to swap out stuff on the sheet, looking at Atlanta versus Seattle going into last week's game, the numbers were almost identical. And you're sitting there and saying, how is this possible? The difference was Russell was throwing for multiple touchdowns. Matt's got seven touchdowns and three interceptions this year. And some of the people in Atlanta, some of the commentary, Brad Nessler, all these guys, they're all talking about it, saying the hardest part is it feels like Matt Ryan is not Matt Ryan. He's he's skittish. He's getting hit a lot. He's already got 11 sacks. And if if you can keep Matt Ryan in check and not let him get going, then that offense is in serious trouble because, yeah, they got Gurley, but they need to pass the ball in order to advance it. Otherwise, they're toast. So get to Matt Ryan, in my is my opinion this week. Get to Matt Ryan and cut off the head and the snake will die. Well, let's talk about the rankings of that offense over the past five years, Jay, just to hammer your point home. 2016, they were the number one ranked offense in the NFL. 2017, seventh. 2018, sixth. Still pretty good. You move to 2019, it drops to 10. You move to 2020, the 23rd ranked offense in the league, despite putting up a bunch of yards. And defensively, they've given up the most yards after the catch, I think 862 uh, in the NFL. So to me, what that says is you can get out, you can establish the run game, you can control time of possession. If you limit, Matt, if you limit Matt Ryan's opportunities and then make them difficult opportunities, you're doing exactly what you're talking about. You could send him the wrong direction while still controlling the pace of this game. Because if you can get that running game going early and then you can get it to Jefferson and Thielen, two guys who can break tackles and two guys who like to catch it out in the middle and run, I I really like the matchup. But I, I still do think it starts almost despite what Chris and I ran into in the last segment I do think it starts with really establishing the running game you know which which might be a little more difficult to do especially if we don't have Dalvin out there this week yeah definitely keep an eye on Dalvin Cook because Wednesday as of Wednesday he did not practice with that groin injury and we heard Mike Zimmer on Wednesday talk about how Alexander Madison he thinks he's a little bit quicker this year he sees some improvement and he talked about how in the second year, a lot of these running backs that he's coached over his career, they, they, they really grow in that second year compared to the first year. And, man, I, like, I said it in the post game. I was like, Alexander Madison, I know we all love Dalvin Cook, and he's one of the best, probably top three running backs in the NFL, but I'd put Alexander, like, I think he's a, as good of a second running back as there is in this league. Like, I really would put him in that category. And, and, and again, I think this is the opportunity to do what we talked about, Chris, where you could feature the running backs and still attack because quarterbacks across the board have had big days against them. Russell Wilson, 320 and four touchdowns. Dak, 450, a passing and three rushing touchdowns. Foles and Trubisky, 360 and four TDs. Rodgers, 327, four TDs. Russell Wilson, 313 and two TDs. So I, I think you come out, you bang them, especially with their defensive line a little banged up here. You come out and you run it into them. You make them understand that you are going to have to do everything you can to stop this running game. And then boom, boom, boom. Jefferson gets behind somebody. Thielen's catching all over the place. We finally had an Irv Smith 
sighting this past week. Maybe he becomes a threat in this game, Jay. And that's the thing for me is the tight ends against this Atlanta defense have been gigantic. They've given up 15 touchdowns this year, and seven of those touchdowns have been to tight ends. So Jimmy Graham had two. Robert Tanyan Jr. had three for the Packers. Atlanta has been getting killed. I I noticed on their depth chart, they literally only have four linebackers listed in a 4-3 defense. So, like, they are running super thin. They've had other players like their nickel had to play corner for a while. Now he's hurt. There are a lot of areas in the middle and deep shots on this defense that the Vikings should be able to take advantage of. And if you're able to get Irv open and have him make some more of those spectacular catches like he did in Seattle, it's good to see him get going. I think Irv and and Kyle could definitely kill this secondary for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I agree. I I want to see us attack right away, like you said, Cy. I mean, you see some of the numbers. It looks really similar to the Seattle defense. Like it looks like a defense that we can put a bunch of yards on on the ground in the air. I just like the way our offense looks at home in the past couple games as well. I want to see Justin Jefferson kind of rebound off a, a little slow game for him. I just think there's so many playmakers on this offense I don't see how we lose this game you have to win this game you go into the bye week two and four you you have some sort of identity that's developing like I said earlier in the show I, I think you you th- start to think about Daniil Hunter coming back and you never know what could happen here I want to see us build on the loss in Seattle rather than fall down from that loss because the bye week and then you play Green Bay coming out of the bye week I'd like to have some sort of momentum heading into that game uh, and the other two things I think that I'll be watching for is now, uh, you know, last week was, uh, it was very evident that the NFL respects Justin Jefferson. You know, he, he still had a few catches, but it was, it was very evident that the Seattle Seahawks said, hey, we're going to know where you're at. We understand you're very good. We're going to know where you're at. Four catches, 27 yards, something like that. Uh, I'll be curious to see how he responds. You know, and obviously his presence really helped Adam Thielen, who was all over the field last week. But I'll I'll be curious because there's been big quarterback numbers this year, but there have also been the wide receiver tandems have really specifically thrived. Uh, Lamb and Cooper for Dallas, 12 receptions and 206 yards. Metcalf and Lockett week one, 12 receptions, 187 yards. Uh, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. 12 receptions, 205 yards. So this could be one of those games, more like the Texans game, where you at the end of the day look down and you go, oh boy, uh, Adam Thielen had 130 yards and Justin Jefferson had 75 and a touchdown. You know, so there could be opportunities on both sides of the field in terms of wide receivers. And then I'm, you know, coming off that loss, I'm, uh, I, I want to see with, these, with the opportunity that's been here for quarterbacks, like we mentioned, I want to see Kirk. This is, this is a great opportunity for Kirk to blow the doors off a little bit here. You know, uh, whatever it takes to win the game, but given everything we've discussed, their, their secondary, Chris, is really, really struggling. Uh, they've been leaky consistently. They lost uh, Denard to IR uh, in the Bears game. Uh, A.J. Terrell was on the COVID list for a little while. Sheffield hasn't played due to a foot injury. You know, this isn't a unit that's cohesive and thriving right now. And there's a world where you could see and, and would love to see the number four 
on Kirk's stat sheet. I mean, th this could be – this is the opportunity to put up a, a 400 and a few touchdowns, in my opinion, Jay. Go get a four and four. 404 touchdowns would be just what the doctor ordered to help – make you feel like this offense, you know, is kind of right in the wrongs from last week. Last week's game, they were putting up some numbers. It was great. But if you want to look at where their weaknesses are right now, it's definitely in the passing game. I mean, Teddy had 261 yards passing in the first half last week for Carolina. So if if Kirk can go out there, shake off the rust, know we've got the bye week coming up here, and then you've got a whole nother half of the season to go. I think this is a game where you can try and get right. And, and, this is a bad team. They've been a bad team this year. They've been inconsistent at best for the last two seasons. They just fired their head coach. Do not let them get any kind of confidence early in the game. Bury these guys early and just put the pedal down and finish out a game and feel good about it going into the bye week. Vikings game plan returns for a 14th season hosted by me, Paul Allen, your voice of the Minnesota Vikings. We feature weekly player interviews, game film breakdowns with former linebacker, current analyst Pete Bursich, plus more. Watch weekly on KMSP Fox 9 or Fox Sports North or on the Vikings digital and social channels, including Vikings.com, the Vikings mobile app, Vikings Now, the team's connected TV app, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Details at vikings.com slash game plan. Uh, all right. I, I want to get into a little bit of the rest of the league here before we shut this show down, guys. But first, it's game day any day. Play the new Vikings scratch game from the Minnesota Lottery with a top prize of $100,000. Are you game? Just say I'm in. Get more details at mnlottery.com. Jay, Chris, has listed the NFL power rankings here. I've scrolled through them. Our Minnesota Vikings are at number 19. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, but there are a couple of interesting ones here. Uh, after taking it pretty hard from the Raiders, I am surprised to see the Kansas City Chiefs still at number two behind the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and I am surprised that the Raiders are down at number 13 behind the Saints, behind the Patriots, and behind the Bucks. I know they all have similar records, but to me, that Las Vegas Raider win was special. We'll see if they can hold on to it, but it wasn't just a shootout. They held Kansas City to eight points in the second half, and, and that was a big-time special win for John Gruden and the Raiders. Yeah, I agree with that. That was a fun game to watch. I mean, it was too little too late for the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. And, man, I did not see Las Vegas finding a way to win that game. And they did, and they did it behind their running back, uh, Jacobs, who is a primetime player. He really is uh, a really big-time player for that team. And what their offense was able to do, they have a bunch of uh, first-round draft picks that are that are playing quality snaps on defense. Abrams in uh, in the secondary for them, big-time player. But uh, looking up this up and down this list, I see Green Bay at number one. That doesn't make me happy at all. Um, Tennessee had a huge win. Uh, Nobody's uh, here. No, no, Chris, we're not. No, we're not breaking down the whole list. This is the problem with lists, Jay. When you give Chris a list, he will you give you a. He will give you – I wanted you to go the direction of the Raiders and then turn the show back over to Jay. This is what happens. I've known Chris long enough and had enough private conversations with him that if you give him a list, he's like, 
Okay, so just talk about the whole list. Should I do the whole list in a row? Should I do a TED talk about the list? I'll come, ba I'll come back to you for the Tennessee Titans, okay? Let's, let's swing it Jay's way. Here's something really interesting, Jay. I don't Chicago, know where you're going to put that, Jay. Chicago, oh, I'll make it work. <laughs> Chicago Bears. Uh, don't you dare cut that, Jay. You leave every ounce of this in the show. The Chicago Bears at number 16 are 4-1 and one with six teams with a worse record above them, including the Saints, Patriots, Buccaneers, Raiders, Panthers, and Cardinals. The Los Angeles Chargers are at number 17 with a 1-4 and four record with four teams with a worse record below them, including the 3-2 and two Indianapolis Colts. I don't know who the hell made this list or if they've just been having somebody describe football to them. I know the Colts got beat on Sunday. Sounds like he's going through the whole list, list Jay. The one and I'm the host. <laughs> I do whatever I want, Chris Corso. The, the, uh, my question for you, Jay, is which of these is more ridiculous, having the Bears down at 16 or the one and four Chargers up at 17? Uh, personally, I probably think it's the Bears being four and one. Yes, there's some good teams right above them at three and two, but I I'm sorry. I think the reason why they're knocked down to 16 is because of the, the quarterback controversy, the fact you've got, you know, Tariq Cohen injured. Um, but offensively, they've been living and dying with their passing game. And Allen Robinson has really stepped up to be a leader for them. And I think for me with Chicago, I'm looking at these, I I'm thinking, yeah, Arizona's got Kyler, but I, I don't trust that team fully. Chicago still has a good defense, so I jumped them above the Cardinals. I jumped them above the Panthers without any Christian McCaffrey. The Va the Raiders beating Kansas City, I think they could be higher. And, and Tampa still has Tom, but I, I I just don't see how a four and one team in the Chicago Bears is at sixteen, and you have a two and two New England Patriots team at eleven. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I would, at minimum, if you're four and one, have to have you in the top 12, if not higher than that. I also, and this, and then I'll send it back to Chris here with a question, but I, the Indianapolis Colts thing drives me insane. I know the Cleveland Browns put a lot of points on them this weekend. I know they lost, but the Indianapolis Colts are not the 18th best team in football. It's not even, I mean, that, that is, I've watched almost every single one of their games as I'm perusing around on multiple screens on on Sunday afternoons they are they're an incredible defense they they got it taken to them this weekend but the idea that you would put the Indianapolis Colts at number 18 beneath a one and four team is is just stupidity but that to me is the reason why I think that they did get knocked down here is given exactly what you just said they're a good defensive team and everyone's looking for offense, right? So that is why I think they knocked him down. But I do think it's absolutely ludicrous to have them behind a one and four Chargers team, let alone a two and two Patriots team at this point. I, I just I think the Colts should definitely be higher than 18. They got to be at least top 15. And now the show swings back your way, Chrissy Corso, because our former boy, Kevin Stefanski, is the head coach of the team that took it to those Indianapolis Colts. The Cleveland Browns are 4-1. and one. They're ranked ninth on this list. For the first time in all the previous hype, they look for real. What a win for Cleveland on Sunday, and, and what a start for Kevin Stefanski. 
Yeah, he's finding ways to do things with this offense that clearly um, Freddie Kitchens was not able to do. I mean, I could just reference a pass from Jarvis Landry to Odell Beckham Jr. in the end zone. That's Kevin Stefanski drawing those type of plays up. Baker Mayfield's having his best season of his NFL career, which uh, right when he got there, Kevin said, he's like, this is the quarterback here. This is the guy that that we're going to make him successful here with this team. And they have so many weapons. They lose Nick Chubb to an injury, and Kareem Hunt just comes in and, and puts up like four great weeks in a row. So... Um, I, I would watch out for that team. They're playing a huge game this weekend against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road. So that'll be a big test for them as they play the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers in a huge division game. Uh, but, man, you got to like what you see so far, and it definitely probably hurts some Vikings fans out there that uh, we we met we had this guy in our building for 14 years, and now he's over there doing it in Cleveland and, and doing it really well. Doesn't hurt me. I'm super excited for him. I, I like our coach, and I'm happy to see a guy who worked really hard uh, do really well. I know what you're saying. You always go, oh, man, he's so great. It'd be nice to still have him here. But you got to feel good for a guy who worked up through the ranks uh, having the sort of success he's having early. All right, guys. Uh, remember, check out Vikings.com for all your latest Viking news. Chris Corso mentioned this week's episode of Under center with Kirk Cousins when Kirk and Mark Rosen interviewed linebacker Eric Wilson get into that all of our social media feeds everything on the Vikings app uh, everything on KFAN or our podcast feed and remember tune in to Vikings post game live every week one hour after each game from inside U.S. Bank Stadium get a breakdown of the game including highlights stats analysis and more Uh, Tune in on Vikings.com, the Vikings app, and all the Vikings social media channels. I really love that show. I think they're doing a really great job with it. For my money, it's the best post-game Vikings show in town by quite a ways right now. Uh, And then remember, check out Vikings Vantage this Friday, 6.30 p.m., KFAN 100.3. Gabe Henderson and Chris Corso, special guest James Lynch, who recorded his first NFL sack versus Seattle on Sunday night. Boys. What's your walkaway thought going into this game, Chris? I'm sticking with the thought from before, and it's and it's your thought from a year ago that if we get this hurry up offense going, can we do it early? I'd love that. I just want to I want to see points on the board early. I don't want to see drives that we regret early in the game. I know that first half was great um, in Seattle, but we could have put up more points in the first half. Kirk Cousins said that. Um, this week so I want to see a lot of points on the board early and I want to see us find a way to to stop Todd Gurley um, in the first half. Jay? Bury a bad team early hit some deep passes convert your touchdowns instead of field goals and make a bad team who knows that they're not that good right now make them quit finish off a game go into the bye week and feel good about yourself. I'm with Jay don't give them don't give them an ounce don't make them think they can they can ride the emotional roller coaster of a of a coach being replaced. Snuff it out. Snuff it out early. That's gonna do it for us, guys. We will see you next week.